Are you a physician moonlighting for extra work? If so, what should you know about managing your moonlighting income? Welcome to the Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Andrew Schwartz. Andrew is a CPA based out of Boston, where he specializes in the tax issues affecting healthcare professionals. He is also the founder of the MD Taxes Network, an affiliation of CPAs who cater to physicians and their practices. Mr. Schwartz, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Well, when people moonlight, I imagine they're paid different ways. So how does that affect their taxes? When people moonlight, how they're compensated determines how they're going to be taxed. So when you have taxes withheld from your pay, you're considered an employee. When no taxes are withheld, then you're considered an independent contractor, and that determines the best way for you to save taxes. That's the hardest money to give back to the government, though. It's so hard to write that check. Yeah, especially when, when you work as an independent contractor right, and you have right, no taxes taken out. Right. So how does the government know that? How does the government know how much you well, earn? If they're getting their, your regular W-2 from your employment job and you've just got this extra money coming in on the side, how do they know about that? They know about it because any time that a person works for another organization and gets paid more than $600, that organization is required to prepare a different type tax form called a 1099 miscellaneous, and they send a copy of that to the form government. Okay. to the recipient and one to the government. So do things get complicated for you as the accountant trying to figure out they're doing their taxes when they've got taxable income and non-taxable income, or is it pretty easy? No, it's pretty straightforward, and it's actually pretty good stuff. Here, a client can come in, and we can actually help them save taxes, a lot of taxes, potentially. And if I am an independent contractor, what are the, what are the tax advantages for me? Well, there's a few different tax advantages. Um, first off, you get to claim your professional expenses directly against your income. So let's say that you earn $20,000 by consulting or by moonlighting during the year and you're paid as an independent contractor. Mm -hmm. If you're able to come up with $8,000 of unreimbursed professional expenses, you take that $8,000 of expenses directly against the $20,000 of income you're only taxed on $12,000. Right, so such, such as, what are, what are some of those things we could use as deductions? Well, you can use professional dues, your yeah. board exams, unreimbursed conferences. If you buy a computer, your internet access, your cell phone, your mileage driving to... Okay. What about the car itself? Or just the mileage, either that or the lease payment? Uh, you have two choices. You can either claim the standard mileage rate, which is, in 2007, it's 48 and a half cents a mile... Uh, and you multiply the standard mileage rate times the business miles driven, and that's your deduction. Uh, the second way is you base your deduction on actual expenses incurred, and you multiply those expenses by the percentage of miles driven during the year that are business miles, and those expenses include gas, insurance, repairs, parking at home, and then lease payments if you lease your car or a factor for depreciation if you own your car. Is there a downside, Andrew, to being an independent contractor from a tax point of view? Of course there is. We're, we're talking about taxes, and whenever there's an upside, there's always going to be a downside. So the biggest problem with being paid as an independent contractor is you're subject to this additional tax known as the self-employment tax. So when you work for somebody, they withhold Social Security and Medicare taxes from your pay at 7.65%, and the employer matches it. So the government gets 15.3 cents for every dollar you earn. When you're an independent contractor, the government still wants that 15.3% tax, but you report that tax and pay it as part of your personal income tax return, your federal income tax return. So in addition to paying federal taxes and state taxes on your net moonlighting income, you're also paying this 15% tax. So even if you're just in a 25% tax bracket, in Illinois the rate is 3%. By the time you pay your 25% federal tax, your 3% Illinois tax, and there's 15.3% 
Social Security tax, you're paying 43 cents on each additional dollar you earn by moonlighting. There's a, an equation out there when you, when you start deducting professional expenses, and it's ordinary plus necessary equals deductible. Can you define that for me? Uh, yeah, the equation is ordinary plus necessary equals deductible. So the IRS, they issue guidelines of what's deductible and very specific rules, but it all comes down to this, that for an expense to be deductible, it needs to be both ordinary and necessary in connection with your profession. So if you go and you buy a, um, a BlackBerry that you're going you're to use in connection with your moonlighting or your consulting, I would say that would qualify as ordinary and necessary. Now, on the other hand, if you go and you get a coach carrying case for your BlackBerry, you might think that that's ordinary and necessary, but under audit, I'm not sure that the IRS would agree. How many of your clients as physicians get audited? What's the percentage these days? It's actually very interesting because I started doing this in 87, and I would say between 1987 and 2004, I saw probably three audits total. And lately, they're definitely beefing up their audit staff. And the last couple of years, we had probably about a half dozen of our clients audited each of the last few years. Is it totally random? No, no. So there's there's red flags? Yeah, yeah, definitely red flags. And and if if a person ever gets audited, Mm -hmm. uh, the IRS agent will say that it's totally random. But I actually went to a talk that the IRS put on for accountants. And they basically said, as an accountant, we're representing a client. And if if the IRS comes in and it ends up being a no-change audit where they don't come up with anything, Mm -hmm. the IRS feels that they did the auditor a disservice and they want to figure out why a person was selected who shouldn't have been selected. So they're selecting people based on some criteria, hoping to find some changes. And do you have any clue as to what those criteria are that we should not raise those flags? No, that I don't know. But actually, for healthcare professionals... When you file your tax return, there's a six-digit industry code that you put on your form where you report your income and your expenses, uh, whether you moonlight or consult or have your own practice. One of the things they want to see is they want to see the profit from that activity be high enough as a percentage of the income to kind of meet industry standards. So for a medical professional, the code 621111, they would want to see the profit exceed 20 or 25 or 30 percent of your collections because that's just how medical practices are, and there's very few that don't make money. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Andrew Schwartz. He is a CPA based out of Boston and the founder of the MD Taxes Network. Andrew helps us do our taxes and stay clean. Andrew, uh, is it worth taking the risk of having a home office deduction? Well, the home office deduction has an interesting history. That, that, the home office deduction definitely becomes more restrictive, then it becomes easier, and it goes back and forth and back and forth. Before 1999, to claim the home office deduction, you would have had to perform your income-producing activity within your home office. So if you're a physician, you would have had to see patients at your house. Starting in 1999, the rules became a lot more liberal, and now if you use a portion of your home on a regular and exclusive basis, meaning it's not used for anything else, not even one day during the year, and you use that portion of your home for managerial or administrative activities, then you qualify for the home office deduction. Yeah, it's not as much of a red flag, I think, as some people make it out to be. What kind of deduction can you get from that? It's just a portion of your mortgage payment? For starters, let's talk about renters. If, if somebody is paying rent, rent isn't otherwise deductible on your federal tax return, so it makes a percentage of your rent tax deductible, so that's huge. Otherwise, you just take a portion of your mortgage interest and your real estate taxes, that are deductible anyways, and you just shuffle that around mm-hmm. to a different place of your tax return. But then you get to take a portion of the 
utilities, a portion of your homeowner's insurance, a portion of your repairs and maintenance. Yeah, but aren't you, aren't you kind of double dipping because don't you get those deductions on your personal tax? Oh, no, but the mortgage interest from the real estate taxes, you carve it up a little bit and you take the home office percentage of those expenses against your uh, moonlighting or your consulting income okay. and you so, take the rest somewhere right. else. Yeah, it does a few other things. It, um, uh, you know that alternative minimum tax? I don't know if you've read hate that. that. hate that thing. Every, yeah, yeah. Well, considering most families who earn more than $150,000 are paying that tax, the home office deduction actually reduces the impact of the alternative minimum tax. Is the AMT going to disappear soon? <laughs> I hear there's some oil in Iraq. Yeah, hundred bucks a barrel. <laughs> Andrew, what about locum tenens guys that are uh, kind of doing a, a six-month gig here, a one-year gig there? What do they get to deduct? Well, there's a huge tax break for people who meet certain conditions. The condition is a temporary job assignment. So anytime somebody's living and working in one city and they go and live and work in another city for a year or less with the intent of returning back to the first city, then that whole time they're away is treated as one long business trip. They can deduct their travel, they can deduct their lodging, and they can deduct a daily rate for food. Uh, But the key is the assignment has to be for a year or less, and the intent has to be to return back home and continue working where you were living previously. Let's say I'm in Australia, in Perth, for six months, and my intention is to come home, but I fall in love with an Aussie, and I I stay for another year. And then the relationship breaks up, of course, as it will, and I come home. Okay, well, they actually address this issue. It's a very common scenario. Very (laughs) common. Well, they address a a similar type issue. So what happens is when you go abroad, you go in for six months or less, you qualify for the temporary job assignment, and it's all tax-deductible. The day you realize your intent changes and you, and you, you meet this, this, this woman and you know you're going to stay there for more than a 12-month. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it doesn't end at the end of the six months. and It doesn't end at the end of the year. The deduction stops when your intent changes. How does the IRS know that? They're, they're very good. Well, that's when coaching comes <laughs> in if you get audited. The IRS knows all. They know when I decide that this is the Aussie for me. Wouldn't that be amazing <laughs> if say that did happen and you got audited? You know, we know that on this day your intent changed. Well, perhaps they have the receipt when you bought a ring from a store in Brisbane. <laughs> okay, that, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty overreaching. Huh? Um, Andrew, how can I keep track of all my deductible expenses? Do I need to keep QuickBooks going, or is there an easier way? Or is that the easiest way? The first thing you need to do is come up with a system that you're going to live with and maintain. The best way to keep track of all your professional expenses is to track all of your checking account and credit card activity on a personal finance program such as Quicken or Microsoft Money. Uh, QuickBooks works great for someone who has a practice and their business is a little bit more involved. But if someone is just doing some moonlighting or some consulting, one of these smaller programs should do the trick. Uh, a second option is to use a separate credit card just for your business-related expenditures. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the year, you get the summary. And as long as you only put business transactions on that credit card, you have all the information in one place. And finally, the third option, which is the worst option, is to place all of your receipts and canceled checks in a folder over the course of the year. Tell me about lines of credit and uh, the interest you pay on that. Is that tax deductible? Depends on what you use the money for. For business, just for cash flow. Yeah, if you have a separate business and you have a line of credit and you borrow the money to pay your business expenses, that interest expense that you pay when you pay it back is, is definitely tax deductible. That's a business expense. But if you have a personal line of credit that you use to pay personal expenses, then when you pay that back, that wouldn't be tax deductible. So it matters what you use the money for. What would you recommend to a physician if he had the option of being an employee 
for, let's say, $250,000 a year or an independent contractor for $250,000 a year, which would you tell them to choose? Okay, take option C. The winning combination <laughs> is to earn enough as an employee to, to hit the Social Security max, and the Social Security max in 2008 is $102,500. You want to earn $102,500 as an employee, and you earn the rest as an independent contractor because that reduces that self-employment tax from 15.3% to 2.9%. So wow. I take C. Interesting. So are there guys out there that actually do that, that let's say you have a business and you take a salary from your business of what you said, what is that, 102? And then you take the rest of it as an independent contractor? Are there people doing that? No, you need to work at, at more than one location. Okay. You need to more, work for more than one employer. But people do do it, especially the, the younger guys. Yeah, they can earn a salary somewhere and then do some moonlighting somewhere else. And yeah, usually they luck into that scenario, but some people do that. And they minimize their taxes and they maximize their opportunities to save taxes. Well, Andrew Schwartz of the MD Taxes Network, thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure. It was great. You've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157. To comment or to listen to any of our library of podcasts, please visit us at our website, reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.